All right, by now, guys, you know, I love talking about old wrestling. What you might not know is it's not my real passion. My real passion is helping people save money. My real passion is getting families out of apartments and into houses. My real passion is getting people's finances aligned so they can retire on time. I hated going to Walmart and seeing the greeter being 80 years old. She should not be working. She should be home. Why is she still working? Because she still has a mortgage. I want to help avoid that for you. The other thing I want to help you with, let's make sure your kids don't get saddled with student loans. If you've got a student loan, why did you get one? Maybe because your parents still had a mortgage. I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm being sincere. There's only so much money to go around. What I want to help you do is figure out where you are right now and where you want to be long-term. And I do it at SaveWithConrad.com. I've been doing mortgages for more than 20 years. And during all that time, we've helped tens of thousands of families change their life. I mean, routinely, we're helping our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month, but more importantly, get them out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments. But if you don't think it can happen for you, let me just tell you this. We are not the bank. We don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how. We're going to get you a game plan on how to improve your credit, how to save a little bit of cash and how to get into that dream house. Maybe you're already in the house, but it would be nice if someday we could put a pool in the back or one day we want to upgrade to hardwood floors or remodel the kitchen or get a badass master bathroom. I can help you do all of that with no money out of pocket right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. Check it out. SaveWithConrad.com, NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And hey, y'all, don't take my word for it. Check us out. We've got an A-plus with the Better Business Bureau. And as if that's not enough, go look at our reviews. Read them and weep, haters. ConradReviews.com. You'll see more than a thousand five-star reviews. Our average review is 4.72 stars. Find out how much money you can save. Take control of your life in 2023 by taking control of your finances. We're going to show you how to keep more of your own money. If you've got credit card debt, what are you paying on that? 14%, 28%, you know, you can do better with the mortgage though. You may not know this. The interest you pay is tax deductible. And we can even show you how to skip your next two house payments. So if you can get a lower monthly payment, pay your debt off faster, get a greater tax deduction at the end of the year. And right now, right after the holidays, skip your next two payments, buddy, this is the biggest no brainer in the history of the world. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. Or Hey man, shoot me an email directly. Conrad at savewithconrad.com. It's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Foley is Pod. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer himself, the hardcore legend, Mr. Mick Foley. Mick, how are you, man? Conrad, I'm doing great. We have a lot of things to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. We do. I mean, most recently, this past weekend, we finally saw the show. I think we're okay to talk about <laughs> America's most wanted treasures from WWE. I, uh, I absolutely love the first episode, man. Hanging out with Stone Cold, it doesn't get any bigger than that. It was ama- I really enjoyed the show. My only, my only uh, issue, which will be resolved, is that Amy wasn't in it. Lita wasn't in it as much. It wasn't a 50-50. Because you want to start off big, Stone Cold, it doesn't get any bigger than right. that. And I was the one who had the rapport with Steve. I wish Amy had been <laughs> the one 
taking the second trip to the middle of nowhere. Like that is a, I don't, uh, when people say, how long is a trip? I don't tell you how long the flight is. First of all, it's a, not a nonstop flight. I, I go from my door to that door, 13 hours. Oh, wow. You can get to places around the world quicker than you get to Steve's house. Wow. And I did it twice. So a lot of mileage. I've been talking, well, you know, in in private, you and I have been talking about all the miles I logged. More yeah. miles than since uh, 2001. Most miles I've done, in, and, I've, and I travel quite a bit anyway. Yeah. But this was a really busy travel year, and uh, it was so gratifying for me to watch it and really enjoy it. We had a great crew. I just want to say uh, you know, a little shout out to, to our, our showrunner, Matt Braley, and our uh, uh, Maria. And I know people don't know these, but TK and Jordan, our camera people, they were amazing. They like, came up with all these great shots. Like, And it was just, a re everyone agreed it was a great, it was long, longer than we thought. It was almost nine months of filming oh, wow. off and on. But we all agreed that we all had a good time. Everyone got along really well. And I think I touched on this before, or maybe I didn't because I wasn't at liberty to talk about it much. But one of the benefits was just to hang out with Lita more. You know, like you t sometimes take your friends for granted. And about five, six years ago, I wrote her one of the handwritten Foley letters when we were at a con just saying basically that same thing, you know, hey, you, you know, you run into people here and there, you forget you've known them for 20 years, you sometimes take your friends for granted, just want you to know how important your friend, you know, a nice little thing yeah. like that. But that was just an added benefit to be able to spend time with, uh, with Lita was a really cool thing. And of course, Booker's the best, you know, but yes. Booker was in the, uh, con and the other, Booker was in the <clears throat> uh, studio while we were out there on the road, which was the better assignment, I think, even though he was going from Houston to Orlando to uh, Stanford almost every week. Oh, you know, wow. he was he was packing on some miles too, but it was a lot of fun, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. I loved it, man. You know, as a belt nerd, I thought it was really cool to see that Stone Cold still had his old Intercontinental title. Yeah, I mean, we hadn't seen that belt. I guess since 1997, that was fantastic to see. I'd, I'd forgotten that, yeah. it, you know, and I didn't know the circumstances around it, you know, with Steve basically saying, this is the title he had when he got hurt, Yeah, and he's keeping it. And who are you going to, you going to say no to Stone Cold Steve Austin? I don't know why, but I, I think it's cool that he kept his old ring jacket too, like the... Uh, the stunning Steve WCW robe that he wore to the ring that he still had yeah. that you guys ran across. I just thought, I don't know. I just never took him as a sentimental type who would keep up with all that stuff. It was really cool to see that he values it enough to lug it around. Cause so knowing how much he values that stuff, because you never see a Steve Austin stuff out there no. for sale. And I'm proud to say that some of my best pieces of memorabilia were either given away or donated for charity, and yes. I did. I have sell, sold some for uh, for uh, for profit as well. Um, and hey, as long as I'm talking about the auctions I've done, can I just uh, uh, Michael from High Spots lost his wife, uh, Unbelievable and sad. they were a great couple. And I reached out to him, and uh, man, there's another member of that inner circle whose wife is going through a tough time too. So uh, sending prayers and you know comforting words if we have them to uh uh the group at i spots would probably be appreciated yeah man i, I didn't have the, the the good pleasure of meeting her but just think the world of michael bakikio and when i heard the news last week I couldn't wait to you know, 
fire off a nice message, but what do you say? It's just, goodness gracious, gone way too soon. Certainly yeah. thoughts and prayers with his whole family. And I let him know that, you know, they're all prayed up in Alabama. Thank you, Conrad. I appreciate that. Because I've been there, I guess, five times. Great folks. For, you know, six, five-hour stretches. And I've seen them on the road together. They were a great couple. So uh, you know, Godspeed to, to Michael and everyone there, everyone who loved her. We, uh, we're looking forward to uh, seeing what you can dig up this week. I thought it was pretty cool <laughs> to see you at my old pal Dave Milliken's house. He had the knee brace. Well, that's I mean, what I wanted cool to point about, about Steve is that he must really value that friendship with Dave yes. because, like we said, he doesn't sell that stuff. I think Steve's got it. You know, I think he's good. I think he's comfortable. Yeah, he's going to be all right. He's going to be okay, but he could make a mint yes. if he wanted to sell anything there. And his knee brace, which it would fetch 10, 15 grand. Yeah, it would be, yeah, a lot. He sends to Dave as a gift. Yeah, randomly. I've never, I've never gifted anything of that value, you know? Right. So it was a lot of fun. And that trip was a lot easier because I went right from the podcast yeah. to Dave's house. He's, he lives kind of right between you and I. Yeah. So that was easy. So it worked out, it worked out good. But, oh, man, the miles I logged, uh, I just erased. I should have had it for this. I took a video. I got, to, I got in uh, a day or maybe two early. I think I actually, you know, watched the ball drop on TV from my hotel room in the middle of nowhere in Nevada. And I took some footage of uh, the biggest snowflakes I'd ever seen in my life the day before we shot. And that was the same day, about 10 miles away from where I was staying, that Jeremy Renner got in that terrible oh, wow. snowplow accident. So, uh, I mean, uh, he's doing much better now, but it made for a the snow made for a cool drone shot. Oh yeah, it did. Where it's just snow as far as the eye can see in that majestic mountain. That's the, he's living the life, man. He's really uh, living the life and deservedly so. Well, you're living the life too because I can't believe this is real. You got a brand new action figure. I saw that this I thing did. was on social the other day and could not believe. I I just received a package from uh, and I. It, it was a discreet. It was in. It was a discreet package, uh, but it was from Ringside Collectibles. Yes. And so what I did is, knowing you are a collector, I brought the first one. Oh wow! And I will sign this first one to you. Oh, dude, this is awesome! So Thank I'm you hoping so much. that I sign many of these over the years, especially in the upcoming months. It's going to be. A duel because I believe there's a defining moments coming out with mankind, hell in a cell that even has the tooth in the nose. But I really like the this. Tooth in the nose the figure. tooth in the nose figure. And it's even got the facial expression, you know, that I had like when JR said, My God, look at him, he's smiling. Even has the hair kind of swept over to that. Wow. I had, yeah, uh, I had tr I have trouble growing hair long on the right side because I may or may not have done some. Uh, Work on that part of my scalp over the years, if you know what I mean. Yes, I'll I'm let you. Up what you're putting down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to say to Conrad here, okay? And this is the brand new Commissioner Foley. That's right. Action figure. And I was thinking of a ca the catchphrase for the commissioner is "That's final," right? Yes. And so uh, that's going to be what I go with. That's. Final, and since I'm Commissioner Foley on here, 
you get a Commissioner Foley signature. So this Let's, is your first, this is the first Commissioner Foley This is the first Commissioner Foley figure out there, right? Wow, that's awesome. And uh, I'm gifting it to you. How cool is that? Thank you, dude. Yeah, that's you awesome. got it. Uh, so I have a feeling that it's great when you do, pops have become the new, I mean, they're the craze to yeah. where I probably signed 10 times more pops than I do action figures. But there's something, ah, oh, man. As a guy who had to wait 12 years to get my first action figure and then thought, okay, I got it. Yeah. That's it for action figures. To still be getting stuff 27 years later, like it's thank you, WWE. Thank you, Mattel, Ringside Collectibles, and all the fans who uh, create a demand for it. Really, so, really appreciate it. What was your first action figure? It was my 1997 WWE uh, figure with the brown, okay. the brown shirt. Um, the when when Jax was doing them and they did not have the technology yet to make the faces yes. accurate, so they just had like a sculptor work on them. Like uh, notoriously, Steve Austin's looks absolutely awful. There were a couple of Steve where they didn't get Steve at all, but uh, there was something charming about those uh, old action figures, yeah. and that was my first one. And like I said, I honestly thought it'd be my last one. Right. I just missed out. I left WCW. Um, before they, right before they, they they did the action figures. I really wish there would have been a Cactus Jack Galoob back in the day. That would have been awesome. I love those old 91 WCWs. There should have been a Cactus. Oh, man, they were awesome. You could beat on them, the Cactus Jack. Yeah. Remember Rocky Two, yes. where the guy's trying to sell him on the Rocky doll? He's like, you can beat on it, you can do anything you want. So the Cactus Jack could have absorbed enormous punishment. Like, you would it. run it over with a car. But it will ask, it was not to be. We've had a couple great Cactus Jacks out there. Um, I am still really pushing for both Mattel and Funko to do the three faces. Oh, yeah. I think they're leaving money on the table for the company and for me because I would love to sign those. Hey, tweet Funko and let them we want the three faces. Everyone, and just make it a not a protest, but a, a, a nudge. A nudge. Yeah. Funko, we want those three faces of Funko. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Uh, we also want to catch you this Sunday night. Uh, you're going to be a part of our regular Sunday evening programming. Any idea what episode we're This is, uh, this we week? are in search of a DX memorabilia, iconic items that have been lost. I had a really good time. I mean, part of the reveal was already made on uh, Raw several months ago because we did track down the Jeep wow. that was used in the uh, WCW invasion. And a lot of cool stuff. Got a chance to spend a couple of days with Road Dog, and the, you know that's a friendship that goes back a long time. In my WWE days, um, full time days, I only lived twenty minutes from Road Dog. Really? Yeah. And when back when we had Foley's Gym, we didn't see Road Dog there much, but we saw Bullet and we saw Scott. Adrian Street was in there, like uh, all the. So you were driving distance to Pensacola. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. And that's as a matter of fact, the last time I hit Pecola, it was to drive. Like about 50, 60 miles out of my way to hit a Whataburger en route to Jackson, Mississippi for a convention. And then when I got to my hotel, there was a Whataburger across the street. Oh, gosh. <laughs> my goodness. What a rib. Uh, well, it's not a rib. I know that uh, you're maybe the most prolific writer in wrestling history. And I think you found a book that you want to mention. I did find a book. Now, you might say, all right, Scenes in the Rearview Mirror, a cabbie's journal. Okay by Jake the Milkman Wallen. He might be, what does that mean to me as a wrestling fan? Jake Wallen was my 
sports or news guy when I hosted a radio show on college radio. I started out doing sports. Then I thought it was a big deal that someone gave up their Halloween time slot, like the most popular night for students to go out and yes. party. I get to do the Saturday, you know, eight to eight to new eight to midnight or whatever it was, or ten to two a.m. And then the next year, I had a Saturday night slot, which nobody wants. In the year following that, I got into uh, the wrestling, so I had a better. And then I had it was a veteran. So by the time I met Jake Wallen. Uh, I was in my second or third year of uh, college radio, and uh, he came in as Jake Wallet. I started calling him the Milkman, and he was at first he was like, I, like I don't know what that means, and I told him there was a wrestler. He was an enhancement. He was like. When I say glorified, I mean glorified in a positive way. Bischoff loved him. Jake Milliman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was a glorified enhancement guy, but he was a, you know, he was a fighting enhancement talent. Yes. And he had, he looked like an, he looked like an Amish wrestler, even before Amish roadkill. And he put up a fight. He, he barely, if ever, won, but he was kind of over. But his name, Jake the Milkman Milliman, Milkman Milliman, very close. Jake the Milkman Wallen seemingly means nothing, but I gave him that nickname in 1985 or 86, and I get this in the uh, in the mail, Jake the Milkman Wallen. Wow. I did know that when I returned to Cortland the next year, he was on uh, the radio, and they had those carts they would put in. They were yes. like 10 seconds cart. I went, Milkman, 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 he delivers. And I was like, doggone it, he has taken this nickname and run with it. And almost 40 years later, he's got a book out, Scenes in the Rearview Mirror by John, or John the Milkman. But he is the same guy who I knew as Jake Wallen. And uh, I was just really tickled to get that in the mail. So that's the first gimmick you created. I believe, yeah. I'm like Dusty, right? How about like that? <laughs> Look out, Starcade. My goodness. Take a seat, Great American Bash. Can I can I just propose something? Yes. Topic of discussion. Yes. Because this is Ask Mick Anything, right? Yes, it is. Every time I come here, I marvel at the signed uh, items you have. And you have something signed uh, by J.J. Dillon uh, with the original Four Horsemen. Yeah. Uh, not even the originals because Oli uh, yeah, was in the original. There. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to put it out there. I know this is sacrilege. Uh-oh. I'm going to put it out there that the um, Bloodline may be the most successful faction in wrestling history. I, I pay great... Oh, I can see that look on your face. Re reason reason being... Grillo, you agree with me? Well, hang, are you saying, well, well, hang on now. Uh, Define success. Are we saying... like Now, I don't think there's any comparing the horsemen to the bloodline. I think as far as historical significance, you could argue the horsemen because they were maybe first. The NWO really revolutionized wrestling though. Are you going to make a, an mm. argument for the bloodline against the NWO? I am because the NWO, uh, because the bloodline has not yet been diluted greatly with uh, red NWA, red bloodline. The, the, the B team? Yeah. yeah I, I think... Yeah, as far as making an impact in an immediate impact, I would say the NWO. But I believe Bloodlines in the discussion, because of the length of time they've been together, yeah, because of that, of the amazing uh, Sami Zayn work. Look, J JJ was great. 
Oh, Paul Heyman's the man. It's Paul no Heyman, argue. yeah. Paul, Paul Heyman's the man. Paul Heyman's the man. And uh, people forget there was that rotating cast of characters to the point where it stopped being a big deal to be in The Horseman. And we've kind of just uh, willingly forgotten some of the incarnations. Oh, yeah, uh, they kept it around longer. I it, see what you're saying. Yeah, with, with I'm Bill saying and that. Benoit and Malenko and, and Jeff Roma. Jarrett. Roma. I was going to skip that. <laughs> there is Roma. No, I'm with you. So, listen, yeah. I think uh, I was really curious where you were going with it because if you were going to say financial success, it's clearly bloodline. Yeah, right. right. Like, just as far as the overall value to the company. Now, as far as. You know, money drawn to tickets and, and all that. I mean, t-shirts, like that NWO t-shirt. My God, it's still a top 10 seller right it now. It's just. Yeah. So I, I think I think there's an argument, though. You know, as a matter of fact, we're going to do that as a poll over at Folius Pod. What is the most historically significant faction of all time? Is it the bloodline? Is it. Uh, the four horsemen. Is it the NWO? Is there another one you want to put in there? Well, you want to throw DX in because yeah, I think we Sunday? should throw DX in as well because we're talking about them and they were huge. But I'm putting uh, Arn. You know, you do the podcast with Arn and Oli were state of the art. Oh yeah. Um, but Jay and Jimmy, man, the length of time they've been together, longest reigning, and the, the I mean, it really is a bloodline. Yes, and it's it's really unfair to compare anybody to Rick. Uh, Roman's a completely different type of champion. Yes, but man, it's been a great uh, years, uh, worth years, of the title yeah. And the slow build. I mean, it wasn't a slow build. You know, it was no secret. You know that Vince was pushing him as the guy when you could argue he wasn't the guy or didn't deserve to be the guy. But man, uh, I no think no argument for that now. Yeah, he is the guy, and I think in a strange way. Forgive me if we've talked about this on the show before. The uh, pandemic episodes may have actually aided Roman in that no one had to put up with the what chance, and you could talk directly to the audience because you didn't when have to you tune them out. Yeah, you didn't have to tune them out, and I know when you're out there, you you know with a crowd, you kind of get into a cadence. It can be difficult to tell any kind of story, even if it's, uh, you know, if you don't have a, a catchphrase or a pop, every 10 to 15 seconds, people might tune you out. So I think that, and also, uh, you know, sitting under the learning tree of Paul Heyman was an amazing thing. Uh, the Usos, uh, you know, I, I, I haven't been watching the product like I used to, and that's been the case for a couple of years. So when I do tune in, I can see the changes. Yes. And so one day, I'm, it seems like I'm watching the Usos, and they're just doing the, you know, the Samoan chant. Yes. And it seems like the next day they're they're cutting these promos where they know the ending to each other's lines, it, but it doesn't feel rehearsed, and they just take it off like a rocket. Add Sami Zayn as the the uh, the X factor, and I would put Sami up there. I know it sounds crazy given what we the type of worker that. Barry was, how popular Luger was, you know, the respect that Ole had. But after those three guys, there's really no other fourth horseman that sticks and makes a lasting difference. So those are my reasons for saying Bloodline, at the very least, deserves to be in the conversation. And I think scholars and uh, wrestling history, historians can, uh, can argue the merits for themselves. 
or let's, among each other. Let's settle the debate right now over on Twitter. At Foley is Pod. Is it the Four Horsemen? Is it DX? Is it the NWO? Or is it the Bloodline? Since you brought up JJ, uh, I think we can both agree. JJ, great guy. Yeah. I mean, legendary performer. Um, so glad he was a part of the wrestling family. However, the Horsemen were still the Horsemen without JJ. Yeah. I don't know that the Bloodline is where it is without Roman. It feels like to me when you go back and you think about the moment where the crowd sort of changed their opinion on Roman, where maybe we all came around, is where we had that tight shot of Roman, and as the camera started to pull back further and further, the reveal was it was Paul Heyman sitting next to him on the couch. I think it all changed that moment for Roman Reigns. Would you agree with that? I've got to sneeze. (sighs) Even though that statement is... Nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> uh, where I, again, I come in and out. Right. I don't see too much. But when I saw Paul Heyman, yes, my tribal chief. Yes. Like, just locked in. Think of how ridiculous it's that is. silly to in say. World of, he made it work. <laughs> yes, my tribal chief. And he but says it so seriously. He says it so seriously. He holds that title belt. Like it's precious gold. Oh man. You he know. had so much to the presentation. He is the George Costanza of wrestling. And I mean that in a good way. <laughs> and that he can say some seriously silly stuff, but deliver it with a straight face. Yeah. And I'm, I'm reminded of the old Costanzaism. It's not a lie. If I believe it, that's right. And Paul Heyman believes it, man. Oh yeah. At least when he's out there, he believes it. He believes it. Every yes, he word does. he's saying, it comes through that way. Well, we hope you believe what we're saying because we're doing a fun episode today. Ask Mick anything. Before we do that, may I state the reason for this colorful attire? It is the attire I was wearing for the official promo photo day for Most Wanted Treasures. So unless I'm sadly mistaken, Grillo will be flashing up that photo. Uh, can we make that happen? Um, and uh, and I'm wearing talk uh, about the, pants. the Women for Sheriff pants. A gift to me from uh, my friend Elizabeth Cook, who can be heard on Outlaw Country Apron Strings. She's amazing. She's not only a phenomenal performer, she's a great performer. Uh, best known for her song, Sometimes It Takes Balls to Be a Woman. which is a, what, what, what is the design on the pants? It's a, it's a badge. That's so, a badge. Yeah, okay. so I think Elizabeth may have been running for sheriff at one point. I'll clear that up with her, but she sent me some swag. And uh, I just returned home from a two-week uh, loop. And uh, so I showered and put them on, and uh, they've been with me ever since. They look really comfortable. Thank you. They are really comfortable. Let's jump into it, man. I'm so excited to talk about this. But before we do, we uh, we got to plug what everybody had a lot of fun with last week. Lane Bryant is over, brother. <laughs> Uh, you can grab your real men wear women's clothing tee right now over at foleyispodshirts.com. Man, I had a lot of fun with uh, the discovery of Lane Bryant last week. Did you see any feedback? Hear any feedback about Lane? I did not. Uh, but I do know when I put up the uh, when I put out the uh, clip for uh, from the show. Yes. That Casey, who helps me with my social media, goes, Mick, there's something. He goes, they're, they're not showing it to anyone. And it's like they can be so sensitive with what they deem to be 
I, as I said, real men wear women's clothing, and I think that was seen as a hot button issue. Oh, I forgot all that stuff going on in Florida. And yeah, okay. and so they didn't show it to. That's that My right goodness. out of. You can tell right out of the gate when they're showing it to somebody. It's the algorithm thing. Yes, yes, yes. And I guess it it, it hit some nerve that's in the algorithm. That's crazy. Uh, they didn't show it to anybody. And now, has there been negative feedback? No, I've not seen anything negative. I think people loved you dancing around to that song from Silence of the Lambs. I mean, my God, it's an all-time great Folius pod moment. I'm working. I've got to get uh, Casey. We're going to work on a video that is a uh, conglomerate of uh, Tuckett songs. Oh, God. And we'll try to debut that uh, in the near future. I can't when I was, I was readying my defense, and I was going to be like, oh, so you're afraid that me wearing... <laughs> tights that were meant for a plus-size woman is going to interfere with the ultra-macho world of trunks and knee-high boots, right? It's the like, exact same. <laughs> like, tights are tights, right? Who right, yeah, yeah. So I was... I just love the visual. And we, we, we touched on this last week in the archives, but once upon a time, you talked about after the whole Vader powerbomb on the floor thing, yeah. you had to sort of rough yourself up on your way to do some photos. In a convertible. In a yeah. convertible at a red light. And I think about the visual of pulling up along next to you at a red light, and there you are wearing yourself out. And then I fast forward, and it's like, now I'm going to see that same guy with the long hair and, and, and dressed as Cactus Jack Wood just milling around and laying bright. Like, what? The visual of you shopping for that is tremendous. Shopping, and some of it may have been Christmas presents from Colette. So It's tremendous. Yeah. I stand by that slogan, real men wear women's clothing. Uh, yeah, why not? I can't believe that's a hot... We were clearly not talking about political issues. We we're talking about cactus. Ah, uh, you know. It is what it is. Brad Wise wants to know, I had no idea about this. How interesting. Would love to hear about this. I guess once upon a time, uh, it was promoted Cactus Jack and JBL on ABC News. We did do a political debate. A political debate with JBL. I don't remember that happening. What was that? Yeah, that was live on uh, ABC World News Tonight. At I think it was at midnight. Uh, I could be wrong. It was Jay. I think it, no, no, it wasn't Jake Tapper, but it was uh, one of the big guys at CNN uh, doing it. Uh, the three to five p.m. guy. How does that come about? Like um, they want to. Well, you know that we had been. Uh, I had worked on the uh, SmackDown Your Vote campaign oh, right, for a right, couple right. of years, and I think JBL and uh, and I approached Vince with the idea of doing something just to show that we cared, and we weren't just hey go out there and vote, but we were passionate about the issues. I mean, you know, it's, look, I you know this time during the Iraq War, right? Uh, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who thinks that was a great idea, right. but at the time. That was a really volatile situation, and to take a stand, you know, like to talk against George Bush, I mean, that was, you're going to lose some fans yeah. over something like that. But I think more importantly, we had a good debate. We did, and the University of Miami debate team uh, participated. Wow. They came in afterwards. We were really worried because 10 minutes before we went on the air, there were like 100 people in a 3,000-seat theater and i remember stephanie saying look we're just gonna have to shoot the guys we can't shoot the crowd and it turned out chris matthews had some kind of a live thing on the campus and oh, as see. soon as it was over phew, it flooded in uh the first thing i said got a huge pop from the crowd and then they had to be admonished they weren't supposed to cheer or boo or do anything like that but we had a good we had a good debate and uh 
I remember hanging out with JBL afterwards, and we both felt like we'd been a part of something productive, you know, like uh, he, he, you know, he got to say his piece, I got to say my piece. I remember one of the times, <laughs> a couple of moments that stand out, is I, it's easy to, it's difficult to get people to listen to the, to rationale yes. and deep reasoning. It's easy to create a catchphrase. And I said, I referred to what George Bush was doing as a suck it presidency. It was a catchphrase presidency, you know, wave the white flag, you know, we're gonna stand, uh, uh, and now it's been so long, but it was like, um, his catchphrases will come to me. And he was more of a catchphrase guy. Uh, and then JBL said, I can't believe Mick Foley just said suck it presidency on the air. And then when the University of Miami debate team comes in, JBL's guy, I think we had two people with us, and the first guy goes, I, okay, he's, it's his time to speak. He goes, I just want to say what an honor it is to be in the same room with Mick Foley. And JBL takes the cowboy hat, throws it up in the air. Like, That's amazing. What a way to start your debate to say it's an honor to be with the guy. Your opponent. Yeah, your opponent. But it was it was fun, and it proved that you don't have to be uncivil, and you can yes. disagree without being disagreeable. And I'd love to see the, com the our country get back to that. Yeah, I think we all agree that you know we're too divided these days. There's a big division about JBL too. Yeah, I um. I've been fortunate enough to, to meet and spend some time with him in recent years. And he's just a tremendous guy. Like yeah. I really get along great with him, but if you read enough, you'll see where some people had less than awesome experiences. What was your experience like with JBL? Well, I had a, I used to travel with him in Dutch quite a bit. It seems like a lifetime ago that I shared. That was what, 96? Yeah, 96, yeah. maybe 97. Seven. It was uh, because I originally started was traveling with Leon and then it was clear, you know, Leon was staying at places, you know, above and beyond what I was looking to spend. And then I teamed up uh, on the road with Al Snow and Marty Jannetty with the famous new rockers uh, that they had. And that was a lot of fun. And then I, I get, I don't know how I ended up with JBL and, and Dutch. So at one time I remember going to see uh, a show in Vegas with JBL. So yeah, we were, and then when we were roommates uh, from time to time, I think he he bought into the culture where you know in football where the upperclassmen were rough on the yeah, and I that's never been my thing, and he that carried over to the way you know he, um, you know treated the newer people in WWE. Not something I agreed with. That's not my style, uh, but that was. But look. It, <laughs> It, you know, I mean, a few generations ago, it was called ribbing, yeah, and then eventually it became hazing, and that's probably a more accurate. Description. Yeah, I think he hazed a few people. Yeah, you know, like I was there on that trip. Uh, forgive me for not knowing if it was Iraq or Afghanistan, because I went to both, where he was pretty tough on Chris Masters, and people. I remember reading the cave Fabe sheets that they said people lost respect for Masters or they didn't stand up for himself, but it was joking. You know, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was joking, but it was a lot. You know, it was constant. Uh, Masters lost a jousting match to one of the service members. And, you know, when you get on those yes. things, I was on there one time, I could barely even stand, you know, with the, the balancing issue. And uh, Masters never heard the end of it. And Masters kept on, like, challenging JB. And JB said, hey, uh... <laughs> 
NCAA champions don't don't play JUCOs. That was his line. Oh, I see. And so he could be a little he could be a little tough on some people. Uh, I, I think that's changed over the years. Yeah. You know, I think he has uh, matured and uh, learned uh, the the hard way. You know, that's not the way to treat people. Right. And so, yeah, I think if you spend time with uh, John today, you find uh, a different type of guy than. Totally but at agree. the same time, I remember traveling and uh, and John's driving and uh, I'm in the car with him in Dutch and there is a motorist in distress and he just pulled over, you know, changed the flat tire, whatever the case was. And uh, he did what a lot of people think about doing, but don't take the it. time to do. And it wasn't even a matter of, you know, do what should I do is it a decision to make. You know, he grew up thinking, I think his father was a, a man of the cloth, I think. And uh, John would sometimes, you know, I think he would contribute in the, in the church a little bit. And so there was a very kind side to JBL. To this day, well. a good portion of his time is spent working as nonprofits and charities. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, rugby for third world countries. I mean, he does a lot of stuff. Yeah, he does. He yeah. definitely does. Uh, Rick Stiles wants to know, first time you ever went to World, Holiday World in Santa Claus, Indiana, growing up in this strange little theme park, it always fascinates me to see people reference it. So tell us about Santa Claus, Indiana and Holiday World. <clears throat> A couple of weeks ago, I was wearing my Santa's Candy Castle shirt from Santa Claus, Indiana, arguably the uh, nation's oldest themed attraction, I think from the mid-1930s. Uh, I had heard about it. Um, and I was at that time, I could still do the roller coasters. Uh, Dewey and Noel were aficionados like I was. Um, but I don't think either one could go on that trip. And so, what I did is I reached out, sorry, to the local uh, Make a Wish Foundation. And I spent the day at the park with uh, uh, two Make a Wish kids and their family. So, it didn't count as their wish, you know, like. It didn't count as their wish, but it was a cool way to spend the day. One of the boys <clears throat> passed away, uh, but another one who had a heart transplant uh, was at my show in Bloomington a couple years ago. And he says he has great memories of that first trip. And since then, I guess I've gone, I've been there about three, four times, but more importantly, I, I love the town. Yes. You know, I've done a couple signings at my friend Kevin's uh, Candy Castle. I did one. A book signing for the Santa memoir at the historic church in Santa Claus. So it's a real good, a real con good connection there. I really enjoy it. Uh, Brandon Wayne or Brandon Warren rather wants to know what individual thing in your career hurt the most. What was the the worst pain you felt in a wrestling? Were we talking emotionally or he wants physical, right? The scoop. Give me both. You got an answer for emotional. It sounds like. Hey, this business, wrestling's at least as tough on you emotionally as it is physically. Really? And I say that even as a guy who, uh, you know, struggled, suffered physically from time to time. More than most. <laughs> More than most. It's just heartbreaking. I tell people when they want to get in, I said, you're almost guaranteed to be hurt badly. You're absolutely guaranteed to have your heart broken, unless you're not somebody who loves it when you get in. Right. And you can kind of roll with the punches. There have been some notable people who made really good livings. Uh, I mean, Sting is on record saying he was not a- Goldberg. A, yeah, Goldberg. They were yeah. not uh, really wrestling fans and did really well. But uh, when you love it like I did, 
and you kind of, you're not an alpha male, you're a little more sensitive than the other guys in the dressing room, there could be stuff that really hurts, you know? I mean, whether, uh, you know, whether it's seeing an angle that's right out there, not being done, you know, I'm coming to, to my head, not that this really hurt, it was more of a major disappointment, but when I did get up from a power bomb that Vader gave me, yes. uh, and I was waiting for, oh my goodness, can you believe the fortitude, the guts, and I, God bless him, you know, Bobby's not here, but he gave us, that'll give you Excedrin headache number two, and I'm like, I laid out the story, like their frustration more than heartache. Uh, but uh, yeah, there were times when you'd be, you know, to give up, willingly give up a job that you loved, it was your dream job, you know. Uh, Eric will probably say he gave me my notice. I know 100% that I gave them, not just a notice, but a two month notice. And they also put the title belts on me after I give them my notice, but at no time did they ever, like they treated me great on the way out, but they never had a talk with me about, hey, do you sure you want to do this? Do you want to stick it out? I, you know, emotionally, I guess, uh, losing your ear, which is a gift, gift from the wrestling gods. Yes. To have nothing done with that was, was pretty heartbreaking and pretty depressing. And that's what led me to believe that, brother, if they can't push that, they don't have anything for me. And he, to me, we never we haven't spent any time talking about that. I mean, we talked about how it affected you, but we never spent any time talking about why they didn't. Do you think they didn't do more with the year because you weren't in their plans politically, or was someone just not invested? Because if someone is really invested in what's best for this company and what should we do, then that feels like that's just that's laying in your lap. It's ready to go. Yes. I, I mean, maybe we can have somebody check, but I'm not sure I had an advocate like Cornette or Jim Ross. Yeah, there. Cornette was gone by then. Yeah, and, and Jim was in WWE, right? Yes, yes. So, and I don't know where Kevin Sullivan was. But he was there. He was there. But I lost two of my biggest advocates. Yes. Um, and Eric brought up a valid point since then that I was considered a physical liability because of the stuff I did that they were worried I'd be, you know, seriously injured. Um, and I and I just think they, you know, I was, you know, I've talked about it in my book, I was the three grand a week guy for three years. Yeah. And that's, it was, I mean, I, I uh, bargained to get up from 78, which was offered to 156, but I never got up above that level. When Bill Watts came over, it was considered like a real gift just to keep what you got, which I did. Um, but you can, WCW, I think it's fair to say, work themselves into a corner where you couldn't be a top guy unless you were making top guy yes. money, but you couldn't make top guy money unless you were a top guy. Chicken and the egg. Which is why you tended to see a lot of the same names on top yeah. for years at a time. I mean, they, I, you know, they, they let Steve go. They let Goldust go. They let me go all within like, a year yeah, of each and other. Mero. Yeah, and Marrow. <laughs> yeah, and well, Marrow wasn't so much they let him go as right. he went for greener pastures. Sure, um, but that that would be emotionally the most painful thing. Physically, was, physically, I'd say the year is up there in the top three, along with uh, uh, things I did in the the cell. But actually, the most painful thing I ever felt. 
uh, even though I will sometimes give the ear as an answer, you know, when I do my shows, because it's 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 more readily understandable. Demonstrable, yeah, demonstrable. Um, is I dropped an elbow on Ron Simmons off the apron at the Clash of the Champions uh, anniversary, uh, and I thought I fractured my pelvis. Oh, uh, it was a torn abdominal muscle. When the X-rays came back negative for the fracture, like, and they told me I'd torn an abdominal muscle. I couldn't believe, like I couldn't believe, I was so let down. I didn't understand then that torn abdominal muscles are career enders in many sports. Hockey, Bill Goldberg, abdominal muscle. And he said, quote, I, I couldn't do anything. I was a piece of S-H-I-T. Uh, I will curse occasionally, but I don't need it there. Don't need to no. play that hand just no. yet. Um, so, and I could not believe how much it hurt. I did a commentary about 10 minutes after that match, maybe 30 minutes. Uh, I did it with Jesse and JR, and I held my own, which I was really proud of, especially because I was doing it in a degree of pain that, you know, is uh, pretty unique. Um, so there you go, torn abdominal. There you go, torn abdominal muscle. Uh, Brad wants to know, did you enjoy your time on Holy can I, Foley? Can I... I'm going to, no, 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 I'm not. What, so what it's a, I, I used the line in my book, but it's a different day and age. So I cur certainly couldn't say that I woke up two days later and my genitalia had turned completely black, but unfortunately it remained the same size. I can't say something like that in today's you day. You can't say that Okay, anymore, all right, man. so I won't. No, thankfully you didn't. <laughs> uh, Brad wants to know, did you enjoy your time on Holy Foley? We did. We did. I've heard a few people knock it uh, over the years, like uh, saying that I was putting my family out there. But I defy anyone to spend 10 weeks working with their family to be paid pretty well to do a show that we really liked, that we thought was a good show. I thought the error made was, A, if it was on USA, I think it would have gone three or four seasons. Right. WWE was so high on it that they thought it could do the impossible. To me, it sounded impossible. They thought it could persuade non-wrestling fans to get a subscription to a, a wrestling network. I just didn't think that was feasible. And I also didn't think right. they should have, yeah. I don't think they should have divided the 10 episodes into two seasons. And also, I really like the old-fashioned way, the non-binging way of letting momentum build yes. so that it can become water-cooler talk or you know, at least uh, things to be talked about in wrestling forums. But when you have a chance to watch all five in a row, yeah. it doesn't, you know. It's an evening and you're done. It's an evening and you're done. But we really enjoyed it. I think at the beginning it did really good ratings for them, but there was only a million people in the world who had it. Right. And so at a certain point after everyone's seen it, you know. Um, That's kind of it. Yeah. But uh, Noelle did really well with it. It uh, helped her with her Instagram following. Her ways, yeah. yeah. And I thought that. Even in the format where you understand things are heavily produced, there were some very real moments that shone through. Noelle with her. You saw the cage? The cage, yeah. That I was, messaged you way back when. Yeah. It was a real moment. Like. And my son Huey thought, yeah, that wasn't, he said that wasn't very realistic at all. He was there, but he wasn't on camera. And I said, Huey, I said, I can't. Cry. He goes, why would you cry in front of a cage? I said, I don't know. Yeah. I said, you've never seen me cry on camera. Like no. one thing I could never do, even though I, you know, I was a good mic and promo man, but I could never cry. 
And here I was, I just, that was very real. And Noelle hugging me, she'd never seen me like that in her life. And also uh, uh, Noelle's tryout with NXT, yeah. where she was doing that with bruised ribs. And she was trying out with Bianca Belair and Sonya Deville, who, uh, you know, so, and she had, worked to, out. she had to carry Bianca on her shoulders around the ring, you know, and Noelle's got the, the Foley upper body, you know, she couldn't do a push up. And I, I looked in, I knew how badly she was hurting, and I could see she had nothing left in the tank, but she was still doing it. And when she came out, when, you know, uh, Canyon uh, Seaman gave, I remember Huey going, wait a second, his last name is Seaman? Like, <laughs> it's only, I think he was 12 or 13 at the time. That didn't make it on the air. Um, should have. It, sh it should have. Um, and the other moment, that I just love and treasure is uh, when we were celebrating my birthday at Knobles Grove in Elysburg, Pennsylvania. And I know that my wife didn't bake the cookies. I know my wife didn't decorate the cabin. I know there were a team of people doing that. They went to a baker and all that. But yet when my son Mickey breaks out on electric guitar with the rec theme, that was that was the best birthday memory I've ever had, and it was there on camera. Wow. And the kid, my younger boys, they still, it's funny to look at them because now they are each about eight inches taller than they were, and they weigh less than they did at the time of that filming. How about that? Yeah, yeah, so they don't even look like these kids that they were just six years ago, but they like watching the show. And uh, at the end of that episode at Knobles Grove, we're dancing, and. Huey has a funny little dance that will never stop making me laugh. So we really enjoyed it. We did enjoy it very much. And uh, we're, I guess in a way, it's good that it only won one episode, uh, one season in a way, you know, because we weren't, I guess, I think the longer you go, the more pressure there is to create yes. friction. And of course, there's, you know, they create some pseudo friction. Yeah. Uh, there was never an instance where Noel and Frank were actively looking for a home together uh and i would never as a dad say anything remotely like i can make one call and you'll never get booked anywhere what am i a mob boss all of a sudden i love that <laughs> like and also noelle's training had actually i knew well that noelle had been training you know a year earlier so uh, it was it was a fun TV show magic. yeah we and we all enjoyed it uh derek lewis wants to know who made the decision to drop manson from the name. Who, yeah, Cactus Jack Manson. Look, I was just Cactus Jack. I may have been Cactus Jack Foley or Cactus Jack when I was in Memphis. And uh, we're driving back from a show, and uh, and uh, Robert Fuller is in the front seat. He goes, you know, Jacko, we kind of resemble that Manson feller. And uh, I said, oh, Robert, he was, he was a Foot, foot shorter than I was. He weighed about a buck 20. I said, you're just thinking of the eyes on the cover. Oh, he was on uh, LSD or something. Uh, and he was on the cover of Life magazine with those wide eyes. And I said, that that's what you're thinking of. And then when we work uh, a taping with uh, World Class, uh, he mentions to Eric Embry that I look like that Manson fella. And... Next thing I know, I'm, I come into world class. I come down to the ring, introduced as Cactus Jack Manson. And I immediately said something. I think Robert was there, if not that week, then the next week, as Robert was in and out of uh, Memphis and world class. 
And I said, Rob, I don't, you know, geez, I, that's, that's the wrong kind of heat. And he goes, Jacko, not too many jobs for a fellow with a body like yours in this business. You could ride a good gimmick a long way. And at that point, I stopped protesting. I did kind of bite into it. Um, uh, used it in WCW. But as soon as I left WCW in 1990, I realized that wasn't the Cactus Jack I wanted to be. And uh, I just asked promoters to stop billing me as Manson and just bill me as Cactus Jack. Didn't hurt. Didn't hurt. It came out pretty good. It worked out. Uh, Denim wants to know, who is someone in the wrestling world that your opinion has done a 180 on from when you first saw them until now? Uh, I wouldn't say it was a 180 on Daniel Bryan because I recognized that he was a great wrestler. I didn't know he could have the mass appeal. I thought it'd be limited to that diehard group, but Daniel became one of the most beloved characters in uh, WWE. So I would not have seen uh, I would not have seen that coming. And I think uh, The Rock would be the other notable example of a guy that just didn't seem to be getting it. And as soon as he uh, I mean, biggest babyface pop I received up until my uh, official babyface turn, and I didn't even have an official turn. It was just a gradual build after the JR interview, which was really an organic way to yes. become a babyface. Um, but I think it was May of uh, 97 when I wrestled the <laughs> Rocky Maivia in Richmond. He came off the top with that uh, crossbody, which was his finish at the time. We rolled through and I came up with a mandible claw and the Richmond Coliseum went crazy. Biggest babyface pop, so clearly that was a 180. And those are two answers. I'd be open for other uh, uh, reminders of people that I may have publicly said something about and may have changed my mind on. Paul wants to know, was it ever considered to use Cactus in any of the programs with Undertaker, Rock, or Austin? So we know that you wrestle those guys as Mankind, as yeah. Mick Foley, and certainly as Dude Love, but what about Cactus? I don't think that was ever on the table. Cactus I mean, versus Undertaker feels natural. Ah, but the Mankind versus Undertaker was like a, watching a monster movie it was. come to life. And uh, I mean, I'm, I would have preferred to have come in as Cactus Jack and retire and, and uh, attacked him. But, uh, man, that's one. There's a character that uh, I 180 on because I didn't, I had some serious misgivings about doing that character, and things turned out pretty good. Steve, I ended up, uh, you man, feuding, you're not feuding, but wrestling as mankind when we were both heels. Then, when he was a babyface, had some of my favorite matches with Steve as mankind. And then I worked uh, where I really cemented my image. My legacy as Mr. In Your House were those two back-to-back -back dude love um, matches, dude versus Austin. So it would have been... Unforgiven I, and over the years. Yeah, edge. I'll argue that once Cactus Jack was in WWE, it wasn't quite the real Cactus, Cactus Jack. That's yeah. just the way I feel about it. I feel like that your early 90s, WCW, especially 91, 92, and 95... Uh, Japan, ECW, Cactus Jack were the best incarnations. If you had to go back and just pick one, like this is Cactus Jack, is it WCW, is it Japan, or is it ECW? Or I guess it could be World it could, You know, it's the promos in ECW, and it's just 
trying to turn what could, you know, what some people call garbage wrestling into a surreal spectacular uh, on most of my night, on many nights in uh, IWA Japan. There were other nights where you would not, literally not see your opponent, let alone talk to him. And in that case, now you're out there with, you know, where, where I've got the zero, almost zero Japanese uh, that I speak and the guys I'm in are limited. And also they would be bleeding by the time, 10 minutes before the gimmicks were even introduced. Right. You know, it was considered almost like a badge of honor to go down for a long period of time. Not the, you know, not the Terry Funk, how did that happen? Talking about, you know, the, in, you know, the shedding of blood. Um, so there was sometimes you just reasonably, your expectations were reasonable and that you just wanted to work hard and have a pretty good match at these house shows. But as far as being that guy who really believed, you know, I would say the match I had with Terry Funk on January 10th, 1995 was the one I'm proudest of because the lengths that we were willing to go to, to put that little promotion on the map. And, uh, I haven't seen that match in many, many years. It might not hold up. It might just seem like a series of grotesque moves uh, in humanity to man. But at that time, you know, without being able to talk to Terry or see him and to go out there in near freezing conditions and put on a match of that caliber and sacrifice that much, especially in my Terry, deservedly so, was, you know, was making a lot more than I was. Um, but that's the match I'm proudest of because uh, the lengths that we were willing to go to with that map uh, promotion on the map summer's coming are you ready to unveil your beach bod well manscaped is here to ensure your body is ready for the wild with their game-changing full body grooming and hygiene products don't be the guy at the beach with austin powers chest hair and and if you grew some winter man tits the least you can do is try to make sure they're hairless it's time to get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20 percent off plus free shipping with the promo code foley Manscaped is dedicating to helping you increase your confidence and level up your full body grooming routine with the performance package 4.0. The kit comes with the essential lawnmower 4.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. Whether you're trimming your chest or the treasure chest in your pants, this is the best trimmer on the market. Their trimmer features a ceramic blade designed to cut hair on loose skin and to reduce grooming accident, thanks to that famous advanced skin safe technology. You can even trim an arrow pointing to uh, the promised land if you're bold enough. I think Dude Love would have been proud of that. Inside the performance package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. It's an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. And hey man, let's be real. Nobody likes nose hairs. So their package also comes with the weed whacker 2.0 and you get two free gifts, the shed travel bag, which is a $39 value and the patented high performance, reduced chafing manscape boxers. If you're wearing sandals, you need to make sure that you've got the shears 2.0 nail kit. Having the right tools for grooming is essential. So do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code Foley at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code Foley at manscaped.com. Trim your chesticles 
with the besticles. Yambag Jones wants to know, in all the years since you're hell in the cell with the undertaker, did any of the boys ever approach you as they were getting ready for their own cell match? And did you have to back anyone down off the idea of doing something off the top like you did? I never, I mean, there was a, the first two, three years after I did some match with Undertaker, it almost required something on the top. And I'm glad they got away from that because you can't do that every single year. I think the year after I did it, Rikishi took the big bump into the uh, truck. Uh, and you can say, hey, there was you know some padding there, but if you're Rikishi and you weigh 370, and you're 16 feet in the air, and you're basically trust falling backwards. It's a it's a terrifying thing. Um, I do remember ta I talked with Becky Lynch before her cell match with Sasha Banks. I remember talking to Edge, uh, and we had a really good farewell promo when I left the announce position. So I gave him some advice. Uh, but uh, yeah, those are the only two that spring to mind. Dave McClay says, how did your appearance on heels come to be? And will you be in season two? <laughs> well, I, I was just asked, uh, Stephen Amell is a big wrestling fan and, uh, did a great job, I think with Stardust, uh, back in the day. And, uh, I think he did, I don't, did he help write the show or create the show? If not, not sure. then he had a major hand in, in getting it to development. And I was asked uh, during the pandemic if I wanted to, uh, uh, beyond the show. The biggest drawback was that I had to get there a week early to be tested every single day oh, for COVID. And, uh, you know, the things I did with my Grubhub are things I'm not proud of, which will lead us to our, uh, away in. Um, but I enjoyed it. It was a small scene, uh, but it was a fun scene. It wasn't as good as I had it in my mind. I really wanted to make Dick Valentino like the third person name dropper, the, the way Dick Valentino sees it. It's tough because I'm not really a voice guy. Right. So I got to do, you know, I do Vince, Terry Funk, Rocky, Rocky Balboa, and then I'm out. Right. So Bruce can do imitations all day. I've yes. got those three arrows in my quiver. Uh, but I guess it was good enough that I'm in the second season in a voiceover where a couple of the men, or maybe I think one of the guys and his girlfriend, are listening to Dick Valentino's show, and it means a lot to be put over by Dick Valentino. That's fun. So it was fun. Uh, Taylor Lunsford says, If Mick, in his prime, could wrestle Bray Wyatt, which one of his characters would he like to perform oh. as against Bray and why? <laughs> If uh, if I was wrestling Bray Wyatt, I think it would have to be Mankind. Uh, yeah, I think that would, t again, it would have that feeling of a monster movie. Yes. And maybe we could take some creative liberties, you know, as far as uh, the indestructible aspect goes. And I think we would have pushed each other to do really great promos. And I think we would have uh, paid it off in the ring. You know, I'm really, I, I, I don't know if Bray has talked about this publicly but you know he i don't i've mentioned it a couple of my shows that uh before they got the uh um the usa slot um he was asking me if i might be able to tune in he said he's doing something with a rocking chair that was inspired by the promo i did in a rocking chair with randy orton and then when i finally got to see this guy i was just blown away I felt awful for him that people were chanting out Husky Harris. 
right. which it seems like a really dirty thing to do to a hardworking guy yes. who's trying to do something uh, fun and original. And then they got over that in a hurry. But that was unfortunate um, that he was treated that way. Um, and uh, there's also a clip out there when I was in WWE as Santa in 2013 where Bray was asking if I might be able to teach him the hangman spot. Right. And so I had somebody record me working on the move as Santa, and that would have been great video, but I can't find it, and I have looked. I'm excited to uh, to ask this next one. Uh, John Bear Jones wants to know, what does Mick think of Shane McMahon doing the jump off the hill in a cell? Decades after Mick's iconic moment of being thrown off, it's been a while since he did it. I've always been curious. Yeah. Well, I made sure that I was the first person Shane saw when he walked through Gorilla. So he would have seen probably 10, 12 people in Gorilla, and I was literally standing on the other side of that curtain. So I was the first person uh, that he saw, and I gave him a big hug, and I believe that meant something to him. Shane's fearless, Yes. right? Now, I, I was scared to death, which you could say is a better, you know, courage is working through fear. I'm not sure Shane has any fear. <laughs> I don't know if he fears anything. Uh, He's a daredevil. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the one thing that my sub match had going for that no, you know, that no other match will have is that element of surprise because nobody saw that. Nobody expected that. Saw that coming. Shane's actually doing his thing from a cell that's four feet higher the one, the one that I did, and for those people out there, you know, dismissing what he did because there was a you crash know pad a crash pad under it. First of all, it's the only way WWE was going to allow that to happen. As they should. Yeah, and second, I mean, um, I can't remember which die, which elbow. Basically, he's dropping a big elbow, yes, right? Yes. Um, was it the match with Undertaker yes. or the match with Kevin Owens where Sami Zayn made that incredible save? Like the t Shane was in midair and Kevin was still on the table when Sami rolled him off. It was just incredible as yeah. far as timing went. And I don't care if uh, you've you know, thought it out ahead of time. You get up on that cell and it's the most, for me, not for Shane, you know, most terrifying experience I'd ever had. I was actually so grateful when I read Jericho's first book, which uh, never actually hit number one. No shame in that, even though I, I did it twice. Uh, I love you. <laughs> oh, my God. That's but, the clip right but, there. But, but Jericho talked about wanting to do something off the cage, and he said, but when I looked down, he got up there earlier in the afternoon. He said, the people down below looked like ants. He said, I'm not exaggerating. They looked like ants. And as soon as I read that, while I was reading, I thought, that's exactly what they looked like. I can't explain it other than you're six feet higher, 16 feet higher than you would normally they be. They look a lot smaller. Oh, my God. They don't God. look human beings. So big. I didn't go up there. Uh, or I, you know, I know we're going to have a cell, a uh, 25-year cell. A reunion show coming up. Yeah, uh, but I can tell you, I was absolutely terrified. And if I had ever gone up on top of that cell earlier in the afternoon, there would have been no uh, activity up there during the actual match. I was I was scared to death, and I thought it was the worst idea I'd ever had. And the truth is, when Undertaker's gong went off, knowing that not an eyeball in the place would be, all I could think of is how do I get down here, get down from the cell without destroying my career. 
I couldn't think of a way, so I stayed up there and hoped and prayed for the best. Uh, Stampede Forever says, whatever came, whatever became of his application to Stu Hart and Stampede Wrestling, was there ever a reply to him from Stu? I don't think so. Uh, we've posted the handwritten letter. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think Natty came across it uh, a few years ago. Another handwritten letter talking about the a uh, few of the bumps that I've uh, created to add uh, um, add excitement to my matches. I didn't hear back from Stu. I sent out letters to every regional promotion that was out there, and no responses. I mean, there was I was on I was at Dominic Danucci's house when he called AWA, and AWA took great pride in the wrestling. Yes. And uh, I hear Dominic go, I got a good boy. He's a tall, his name is a Mickey. And then there's a pause and he goes, uh, he's a tall. <laughs> so the question was, how's his physique? Yes. And Dominic paused and goes, he's a tall. Because I was 6'4 at that time, yeah. you know, and I was about two, 230. So I was, you know, I looked taller than I eventually would at, you know, at 280. And now I'm about 6'2". Um, but I got no answer. It wasn't until I was at Brian Hildebrandt, many of us know as Mark Curtis, uh, one of the best friends I've ever had, uh, and gone way too early from cancer. He said, first time I'd ever seen the Wrestling Observer, uh, I'd heard about it, I'd never seen it. And he said, you're in this one. And, uh, and uh, that was the first time I saw my name in print and within three days of Dave Meltzer referring to me as possibly the best no-name independent talent out there, I had three job offers. Uh, one from Kansas City with uh, Tommy Gilbert, Eddie's dad. Uh, one from uh, the Savoldis, which wouldn't have been a full-time job. Uh, and the other from Memphis. And I remember one of the Savoldis chewing me out, telling me, we're trying to make something out of you. You're going to go there, they're going to use you up, they're going to destroy you. And I think I made the right move. No doubt. I didn't have a great time in Memphis, but it was a valuable learning experience. Uh, Carlos wants to know, if you could pick, if you could come back and work a program with any three wrestlers in WWE or AEW, who would they be and why? <sighs> I think a fatal four-way cinematic. Foley, Cactus, Dude, Mankind. Oh, I love that. We could make that happen, right? That way you never lose. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what, you get the winner's purse. Uh, are there th are there three talents out there? Like you mentioned, Bray, would he be on the list, or is there somebody else where you think, man, me as Cactus versus that guy? That's a home run. That you know, uh, are they talking in his prime? Yeah, you in, in your prime. In my prime against, against somebody on TV today. <sighs> Bray would be one. Yeah, Moxley would be a second one, and then an outside the box. Uh, uh, talent who would be a polar opposite style to mine, which I always enjoyed and took as a challenge to incorporate like a flying style and put a Cactus Jack stamp on it. So, so I, I've said if if I was the first guy out of the gate for Ricochet, oh wow, I think I could have done some cool stuff with him. Man. To do, I think it's I think it's worth a moment to examine just how incredible Seth Rollins has been. Oh yeah, and how he is so great, and now the character. Is you know uh, people are with it, man. It's incredible. I have to admit, I didn't get it at first. A lot of people didn't, uh, but boy, it has resonated in a major way. Kudos to him for yeah. having belief and staying the course. He's the man right now. And maybe uh, this Christmas, I can uh, we can air a, or maybe I can even 
through the miracle of uh, editing, we can edit in uh, the Christmas video that was sent <laughs> to the family in which Santa does his best to duplicate the Seth Rollins <laughs> Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we got to find that. <laughs> it was one of my favorite videos. But a guy like that who is uh, maybe 10, 15 pounds heavier than Shawn Michaels, if that, uh, but a guy who would be small enough that I could have done power moves in my prime, like I was able to do with Shawn, yes. where I was able to do uh, – the back suplex into a cross body through the table at Mind Games because I knew I could do it safely with him. So your picks are Seth Rollins, Moxley, and Bray? Yeah. Not Ricochet. Right. Okay. I'm going to go Seth so Rollins. You two out of three, The Shield. I guess I am. <laughs> right. I guess I am. Uh, I wouldn't well, mind some uh, main event pay with Roman either. There you go. I know. Yeah. That could be fun. Paul Heyman and, and in his prime Cactus Jack. Hard to beat. Hard to beat. Yeah. Uh, Ed wants to know, Mick, I was at your first match in the mean streets of Clarksburg, West Virginia. Mm -hmm. uh, Nathan Goff Arm Armory. Any uh, stories of the famed Armory or the area in general, <laughs> good or bad? I like that we got somebody there from your who was at your very first show. Yeah, I've got an appearance uh, coming up. I uh, can't remember the exact town, but people can check my schedule, realmcfoley.com. Uh, or I just sent out a video and I, uh, to the store, and I mentioned that, that my very first match was in West Virginia. The deal was I learned in Pittsburgh, a little geography for you fans out there. Pittsburgh is western Pennsylvania. Yes. Pittsburgh had an athletic commission. Ohio, which was just to the west, and West Virginia, which was just to the south, did not have an athletic commission, which meant it was much cheaper to run small independent shows pay the talent, either $10 or 25 Can't remember what I pulled in for those shows. Um, but I do remember um, my first show, uh, my first match. I thought I was going to dip my toe in to the shallow end. And 10 minutes before the show began, he, uh, Dominic pulls me and Kurt Kaufman together and says, uh, you and uh, Kurt, go 10 minutes and no punch kick. So I defy anyone, any historian, to find a 10-minute Cactus Jack match without a punch or a kick. It wasn't 10 of the best minutes of my career. Fortunately, we had done a high spot earlier that day at Danucci's Gym. It was cutting edge by the standards of the day, leapfrog drop kick. And when I called that spot, I failed to specify with Kurt which one of us would be leaping. Oh. Because it's one of those moves where it can be interpreted either way. Yes. So I've been down expecting Kurt to leapfrog over me. He comes off head down expecting me to leapfrog over him. And there is a collision like two bull elk in a mating ritual. That hurt. And I, I, it hurt. May have been my first uh, wrestling concussion. And it's embarrassing. And it's embarrassing. And even more embarrassing is not realizing you should not attempt the move you just botched again. I called it a second time. This time a little angry, frog drop kick. Once again, failing to specify which one of us <laughs> would be leaping. So you both jumped that time? <laughs> no, we both put our heads down again. Oh my and God. And we had two in-ring collisions. It could not have started worse. Um, but I did have some, I ended up having a few good matches there in Clarksburg. I mean, you could have, in theory, after that happens the second time, just rolled out of the ring and walked right out the door out of embarrassment and been like, no thanks. 
Change my mind. And fortunately, Brian Hildebrand's dad, uh, Regis, uh, he was a pretty good photographer. So he captured a couple of in-ring photos, and then there's that cool photo where I'm clearly trying to figure out what this character's supposed to be. I got the tube socks pulled up past the uh, uh, the boots Danucci had sold me for 25 bucks. Uh, and I'm giving the old, I got the shades on. Oh, yeah, of and course. And the number one, it was, you know, I was, you know, you're searching. You don't know what that guy is supposed to be. But, uh, yeah, that was my first match. And then uh, Shane Douglas and I went to have a, went on to have a few good matches in Clarksburg as well. I think it worked out. Yeah, it worked out okay. Uh, Slasher wants to know, uh, another early days question. As a lifelong fan and Husky fellow myself, how often did you train during the peak Foley era and even in your break into the business days? We all know back then you lived in your car somewhat. So what was a Foley <laughs> training regime like? Hey, I put something out on Instagram and uh, it was quickly coined Cactus Jacked. Uh, is that a deltoid? That, that is a deltoid yes. peeking through. Look, I had a really limited genetic hand that I was playing with. And I remember Frank Dusick, who was uh, one of the promoters at World Class, coming up to me and saying, he goes, people look at you, they don't think you work out. What I hear is that you work out hard and you work out smart and you just have no genetics. I said, that's exactly the case. That's exactly the case. I was in there four times a week, you know, doing chest, shoulders, triceps, uh, one day legs and back, doing cardio all four days, uh, working on the midsection, doing all the stuff of that era, the rest pause, uh, the going down with the dumbbells where you start heavier, just going down the rack, and by the time you're to the 10 pounds, you're completely shot, but you're just willing yourself through. Like, and I was doing the protein and all the things you're supposed to do. It just wasn't meant to be, brother. Wasn't meant to be. But I, I worked out really hard, and uh, I know guys like Steve would say that I never blew up. I knew I did, but uh, I, I could go. You know, I remember there were a few people who, who would see me on the old school stairmaster, the one with the actual stairs that revolved. And, I've never seen a big guy who can do uh, who can do that. So I worked hard. Uh, Colette, my wife and I would go to Sting's gym, which Dewey called Dewey's gym because he loved going there. And this met, might also uh, be part of the reason I, I never got any bigger is that I was constantly cutting promos in my head in the gym. And my wife would say, she would be able to see that far away look and my fingers start twitching, my right eye would start blinking and she'd say, you're doing promos, aren't you? Yeah. I go, yes, I am. So although the work I did in the gym didn't necessarily show itself, except for those photos where you can see the suggestion of a deltoid muscle, man, I thought of some cool stuff to say while I was in that gym. Too Sweet wants to know, ever have any catchphrases you tried to get over, but they just didn't? <laughs> I mean, this isn't exactly a catchphrase. This, I think we, I forget, have I discussed the abyss angle I wanted to do? I don't and Eric Bischoff would have been, he, Eric Bischoff was in as the heel manager. This is when abyss had been taken under the Hulkster's wing. Do you remember that? It was actually good yeah. TV. Yeah, he had the, the uh, Hall of Fame. Yeah, and all that. TNA just, they ran through their angles so quickly that you never really had a time, chance to enjoy them. As we've talked about in the past about MMA, Jeff Jarrett. Yes. Which was an incredible presentation, 
But unlike the Rick Rude uh, kissing a fan for a year and a half before he tried to hit on Cheryl Roberts, MMA Jeff was done in six weeks. Yes. He would ask for a challenge, and I think on week six, Kurt Angle answered the challenge, and boom, no more MMA Jeff. Um, but in this case, <laughs> redirect me. Best catchphrase. Oh, yeah, best catchphrase. So I wanted to do an angle. I remember telling this to Taz because we were the only two Long Islanders and we would be on that Southwest flight to Orlando every couple weeks. Taz, I got this idea. TFL, you got Southwest? Well, it was nonstop. Oh, that's and awesome. they gave that's me awesome. uh, a bit, you know, business, which is just uh, you know, exit row. Yeah. Uh, back when I fit in the exit row seats, and it was it was fine. Two, you know, two hour flight uh, every a couple weeks. Um, I said I wanted uh, the Hulkster to pull Abyss aside and say, Abyss, uh, do you remember when you fell in love when you were eighteen years old? Oh, yeah, yes, yes, Hulk. Uh, do you remember the way you expressed your love? And he, oh, yes. He, Hulk would say, do you understand, brother, there were ramifications for what you did? And he doesn't understand. And it turns out there's been a love child. We never reveal the love child until, you know where this is going, right? I know. The tag team is announced. Eric's out there with his two people. Uh, Abyss comes out, and here I come with a mask that looks similar to his because it's been said, you know, that maybe he drew some inspiration from the Mankind character. The greatest character that never was, drum roll, please. Son of a bis. Son of a bis. And Taz goes like this. He goes, it was, you know, just like that can't miss. And then you come in, you steal a victory quickly. I or, or even if it's not, I, I'd say quickly, so it's like a whirlwind. Yeah. And you leave Eric Bischoff with a live microphone going, son of a bis. Son of a bis. Son of a bis. With all due respect to the Austin 316 and the Phantom Balls shirt. Son of a Bess was a home Son run. Son of a Bess was a home run. Yeah. So that's not a catchphrase, but that was uh, the character that got away. Might actually be a shirt. We're at Foley's Puck Son shirts. of a Bess. Right uh, Ray J's World wants to know, you did extreme matches in your day. What are your thoughts on current extreme matches, like the exploding barbed wire matches that AEW did? Or the constant bleeding John Moxley does. I guess he's trying to say, do you think there's a place for hardcore wrestling today? I, I do think there's a place for hardcore wrestling. I haven't watched much of the uh, uh, the groups that you know pride themselves on being hardcore. I did participate and was glad to do it, and thought he did a pretty good job of announcing with uh, uh, KG Kevin Gill. Uh, just went up to the announcer's desk. That wasn't even part of my assigned task, but it was just fun to do. And yeah. there was electricity in the air. And uh, I, as I said, there can be an art to what uh, the hardcore um, death matches. Uh, but I haven't really watched a lot. Um, it can be said that Moxley's trying to uh, uh, do too much. But at that time, I, the time when he really started bleeding, wasn't that when he, he came back from rehab? Yeah which is an amazing testament to yes. John. On the day his book came out, so he wasn't able to push a book, which is an excellent book, highly recommended, yes. especially the chapter he wrote about how WWE doesn't belong to me, it doesn't belong to Vince, it belongs to all of us. There were some really profound things. That chapter in particular is one I think every wrestling fan uh, should read, but I think he was trying to do whatever he could to uh, to to represent that company as well as he could. 
And look, I was there in IWA Japan where Terry Funk was bleeding quite a bit, but it was meaningful. Yes. So I, I'll be honest, like I said, I, I haven't watched the product as much as I used to, so I haven't caught everything that John has done. When I do catch it, I mean, it was obvious to me um, the first promo he did that he had a renewed love affair with wrestling. Yes. And, I mean, that's the way John came up. You know, I mean, I I didn't do much bleeding in uh, in WWE except when I started doing my comeback matches. I think I only was in four matches where I bled uh, in four, four years, so I'm proud of that. But I do think there's a time and a place for it. The trick is to know when that time is and when that place is. And if you're going to have something explode, brother, make sure ahead of time that it's actually going to explode. That's a good idea. Uh, J.M. Wagner wants to know, how did you end up appearing on the show Boy Meets World? What do you remember from the episode? Did you talk with Vader before appearing since he did a couple of episodes as well? I don't think, uh, I think Leon was gone by then. Uh, it came up because Bob Tischler, who was one of their producers, uh, thought that there was a tie-in audience. Um, he thought it would be a good fit. And uh, I guess it went well because uh, I'm still in touch with... Uh, Danielle Fischel played Topanga, and uh, I see Will Friedel uh, a handful of times a year at conventions, and we always reminisce. And uh, just a few weeks ago at a convention, I was brought on as a surprise guest for the Boy Meets World panel. So nothing but good memories uh, from my time on Boy Meets World. R2-D2 playing the bass Ooh. wants to know, I vaguely recall a few years ago, Hearing Mick mention uh, about spending a night in a jail cell in Glasgow with Kevin Nash. In a jail cell? More about this. Yeah, apparently uh, he thinks he's heard a story or a tease that you were over in. It's the first I've heard of it. Okay. Matthew Gold says, do you think The Rock should come back for one more match? Oh, man. I would love to see Rock come back for one more match. Um, Is next year 40? Next year is Mania 40. Yeah, it'll be the uh, 25th anniversary of his first WrestleMania main event against Stone Cold, which, by the way, was also in Philadelphia. So WrestleMania 15, he's in the main event against Austin in Philly. I kind of think maybe. I got to tell you, I have to tell you, I'd like to say that the loudest reaction I've ever heard in ring was when I won the title from Steve. But if you recall, I won the match from Big Show by DQ, I believe. And the winner of that match would referee the main event. Yep. But since Big Show had squashed me, <laughs> his back dropped backwards. No magic trick to that, my friends. Um, I came back from a medical facility uh, for the last five minutes of that match. And the reactions to everything they did was just incredible. Unlike anything I'd ever heard. And I remember Steve, uh, the three count, he said, thank you, kid. And it was just uh, it was just incredible to be out there. So I think those two, yeah, not those two, but I think oh, Rock and Roman, WrestleMania 40. Man. Probably going to happen. Rock might need a friend in his corner. Yeah. Yeah. Who? Uh, Probably Cody. A friend. Yeah. Thinking, right? Uh, you have somebody else in mind? I'm thinking of somebody who has been actively promoting his... Um, is amazing. I'm just and kidding. You know Cody's not going to be there in that corner. Come on now. You think by that point, I mean, at that point, if you were a betting man, you think Roman's got the title next year at WrestleMania? There's no way. Well, look. Ah, man. 
looking back on it now, when you ask me if uh, the decision or the result of Drew not winning the title at Clash of the Castle was a mistake, yeah, was a missed opportunity, I said, it depends. If Roman takes on The Rock, it will not have been a mistake. Otherwise, the ability to absolutely make a couple people along the way, what you gained versus what you lost I by agree. not having the huge number. Uh, I, look, I held the title three times for a total of 42 days, give a day, uh, give or take a day or two. Um, it wouldn't hurt that matchup much at all if he were to drop it sometime. You don't need the game. title for Rock and Roman. But as if they know now, if they know they can have Rock in a main event with Roman Streak being at that point over 1,300, how many days is he up to now? Uh, I'm not sure where he's at now. But, but it's a crazy number of it days. It is a crazy number. I mean, we're going to pass 1,000. Yeah, sure. yeah. Um, that would be a, a majestic match. I've always taken issue with the fans who think the only way to get someone over is a title victory. Um, the best of seven. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Sean Grande, he's a huge wrestling fan. Amazing. He calls the matches for uh, Bellator, I think. Okay. And he is the Celtics radio man. Why he's not on national TV calling uh, nationally, nationally televised uh, NBA games, I don't know, because the guy is amazing. Some of the best NBA experiences I've had are listening to him in the car because he tells, he paints pictures. Wow. You know, he's able to tell an incredible story. So I texted him uh, last night after the Celtics, you know, one going away. Yeah. And I said, that's more like it. And his response was, uh, uh, it's like Magnum and, uh, Nikita. and Nikita, you know it's going best of seven. Uh, but that would be an example I, th I think I think Magnum, Magnum, and Tully, which ended with what I think is the best I quit I've ever of, seen. Yes, that was not for a title, was it? It was. It was for the U.S. title. Okay, but it's the all right, all right, so but that doesn't a, matter. Right. It was it was it's a blood feud, feud. And I quit in a cage and with just that broken a, spike off the chair and a great finish with yes. Tully disregarding the whole macho cool thing and just begging. I, you know, screaming it out. I quit, I quit, I quit before further damage could be done to him. So, I don't uh, think he said I quit. What What did he say? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. No, but I'm just saying years yeah. later, Tully would, I mean, even the next month, he was saying, I didn't say I quit. He said yes. Which I just thought was so great from a heel perspective. I never said Well, when Buddy Landell uh, said yes, <laughs> he, he later said, he thought the referee was asking if he thought he was handsome, yeah. which was a great heel <laughs> thing to do. And then I think Oli's son, who was in the business for a while, said, no, you quit. And the referee rang the bell. So he was the winner of the you quit, you quit it match. Um, they could have a heck of a feud without the title. Right. They could have a heck of a feud if Roman were to drop the title. But if they feel like they have rock in reserve for the 40-year anniversary, I think Roman holds that title, which might be why they divided it into, you know. What do you think you know, of that new title? I like I like the idea of uh, undisputed 
I like the idea of the guy being the guy. As much as I, I mean, I appreciate everyone who's ever held, you know, the the either one of the two titles. One usually I, means more than the other. I like the idea of one guy. I I grew up where Bruno only wrestled if it was a big angle, um, like when he was uh, bludgeoned by Larry Zabisco. But he was usually on an episode with the title, and I like the idea with especially with a roster so stacked that. The only way to see the champion is I'm okay with a monthly match on pay-per-view from yeah, the guy. For sure. Yeah. I think it adds more prestige and reality to it because we certainly don't expect a, a boxing champion to win his pay-per-view match and then have another fight the next night. That's right. So, uh, I, yeah, I think, uh, I think final answer. If Rock's in the works, I'm for Roman holding on to that title. What about the new belt? Do you like the design? Not what it represents, just the look of the. Yeah, I do. I do like it. Yeah. Uh, I was the GM when the uh, Universal title was uh, presented, and I think the fans were just tired and cranky at a moment when they should have been at their peak. For the match, they were focused on the belt. It was six hours into, I think, five and a half hours into a show. Long show. I love the idea now of the two-hour, the two-day mania. Yes. That was a SummerSlam, but still, still same point. They'd been through a lot, and they just needed something to focus on, and it was the red title. I will tell you this. As someone who goes to the cons and does in-store signings, I sign a lot of titles. I've signed maybe a dozen Universal titles since its inception. So it wasn't just a matter of those fans uh, in the venue being tired. It was not a popular design. I've signed more 24-7 titles than I have Red Universal titles. Really? And that was, you know, largely seen as an error. But I do like, I like the new title. I'd be proud to come back out of retirement and hold it. Absolutely. Yeah. As you've probably heard, there was a bunch of big pre-sales in the wrestling business, and that means a lot of people are going to be worried about getting left out. Maybe you don't even know what your plans are going to be by the end of August yet. I mean, that is a bit of a commitment. I get it. So some of us have done what I've done, well, more than once, an Alabama game or a playoff game or something like that. I would think, well, I'll just grab tickets later, and then the stress kicks in. What if I missed them? What if they're sold out? What if I don't like my seat? Well, buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. What I enjoy most about game time is not just the flash deals. It's not just the last minute tickets. It's the idea that you get images of seat views. Really think about that. I can't tell you how many times I've taken a look at a seat map and wondered to myself, self, is this a good seat or not? Well, when you get an image of the seat view, you know exactly what it's going to look like. It eliminates all that stress and worry and wonder. And how about this? Speaking of worry and wonder, you don't want to overpay, do you? You're going to love game times, low price guarantee. It's the lowest price guaranteed. Here's what we mean. The game time guarantee means you always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less money, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. How do you beat that? So man, forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals right up until the day of the event. You get those exclusive flash deals on everything too, man. Football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more game time really has it all. 
and they make it so easy. Just two taps and boom, the tickets are on your phone. So snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account and use the code Foley for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply again, create an account and redeem code Foley for $20 off download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Uh, Angie wants to know, uh, hi, Mick recently found your work and I'm having so much fun deep diving matches. If there's any advice you could give to your younger self, what would it be? Ah, uh, I would have added one more room move to the repertoire. You want to see it? Yeah. <laughs> Not but, the flash. Just hold it. If I saw, if I saw metal objects traveling at me at high speed, I would have blocked them. And I did block the home run swings. No one else was taking the home run swings because I was able to get that hand up. Just, I had it perfect. And uh, once in a while, there were a couple times where I didn't get it perfect and, and, you know, and paid a price for it. But I wouldn't have taken shots to the head, especially at house shows. And I wouldn't have been dropping elbows at house shows, right. uh, especially in front of the smaller crowds. But then it's, uh, uh, you brings up the question, if you weren't doing that every night and treating every match like it was your most important match, would you, in this case, would I have ever made it? And probably not. If you, if we weren't talking about in-ring stuff, we're not talking about moves or risks or any of that, and we're talking about what you touched on earlier about how wrestling will break your heart. So I'm asking now from a more emotional standpoint, what would you tell your younger self about just how to prepare yourself mentally for professional wrestling? I would uh, re reason that it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. There you go. Um, you know, I, I was just thinking, uh, you know, hopefully my wife won't be listening to this. I had a short-term girlfriend in college, and uh, she graduated, and it was uh, over. And I remember her saying to me, like, three, four years later, you know, like, I think we could have been a good couple. And I, like, I think we could have been two. But I remember when I was really down in Memphis, specifically thinking, like, if I had her, and, you know, I had my arm around her. I think I would have, I think I would have left when things got really tough. In Memphis. Yeah, in Memphis. So as much as, as valuable as it is to have a support system, and my wife has been invaluable to me, uh, I would, I would, I would tell beginning wrestlers at the beginning there's only one there's only room for one love in your life. That's right. And if you want it to be wrestling, you know, uh, treasure the good memories you've had and look forward to falling in love at a later time. But when you're in that pivotal moment, I think you got to go 100%. You're saying that from a standpoint of you've got to be selfish in your decisions about your career and things like that. Yeah. And the lonely, I mean, it's a, you can be profoundly lonely on the road. Um, uh, even if it's a guy not getting a pu the push, you know, even if it's going into catering and seeing somebody who was on TV a few months earlier who is no longer on TV, even if it's knowing that as huge as mania is, that there are the inevitable cuts coming, uh, that's heartbreaking. One of the reasons that I stopped going to production meetings when I was a manager, uh, when I was an announcer, is I did not want to know the fate of these uh, superstars. You know, I remember seeing, I won't, won't go into details who it was, but saying, hey, how you doing? He's like, oh, doing good. And I was thinking to myself, no, actually, you're not, because I just heard the word. <laughs>
Vince McMahon said, I don't give a shit about, there you go, dropped it. And then he mentioned the guy's name, and that was basically it for that career. Uh, Jay the K says, what was it like to record the voice as the boulder on Avatar, <laughs> The Last Airbender? Also, are you a fan of the show? <laughs> I didn't know you did that. I did. What's amazing is I will say at a convention, I'll sign three to four boulder pieces of boulder memorabilia. It's especially valuable when the voice actress who played Toph uh, has signed it as well. It, I didn't know that the, that boulder was going to look like the rock. So I did see somebody uh, say, oh, he's, he's copying the rock. I said, no, actually I was copying Jesse Ventura in that I just rolled my co my final consonant sounds, so the you know I didn't have a lot of dialogue. I said, "The boulder is conflicted about fighting a little girl," and then she says something, and I or does something. The boulder is no longer conflicted, so people will ask me to sign it. The boulder is conflicted, or the boulder is no longer conflicted. And when I was at New York Comic Con, the voice actors who played Toph. Uh, came to my table, told me who she was, and she's this beautiful young lady, but she's only like in her mid-20s, mid to late 20s, and we did that 20 years ago. Oh, wow. So she was a child doing it. But uh, I had this moment where I was, dry, I was on a plane, and uh, there's a, a, a child and her father sitting across the aisle from me, and I can see she's watching Avatar Last Airbender. And so when she finishes and we get ready to, to leave, I make sure the father, you know, I said, hey, I, I saw that your daughter was watching Avatar. And I said, is that one of your favorite shows? And she said, yes. And I said, did you know I was the voice of the boulder? Her eyes lit up. It was every big as big of a deal to her as like being WWE champion is to wrestling fans. So I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun and it was a popular show. Uh, I've got a voice, I, I can't believe I don't know the name, for Disney+. Plus, But if you see Rowdy Russ, <laughs> wrestler slash conspiracy theorist, uh, I've got a little clip I can air. Okay. Yeah, i got a little clip I can show you guys because it was like, hey, you know what? Oh, I, the reason I, I did it is because there's a, uh, a clip where Rowdy Russ goes, okay. And I turned it into, <laughs> okay, hot shot. Even if they don't use it, it's a tribute to when uh, me and Steve Austin used to joke around about Sergeant Hulka and his great line, oh, okay, hot shot. Steve actually used it on TV. So I'm playing to an audience of one when I, uh, Rowdy Russ says, oh, okay, hot shot. But that's coming up on Disney. I don't often get asked to do voice work, but when I do, uh, I, I do enjoy it, and I enjoyed uh, the boulder thoroughly. That's awesome. Uh, Mark wants to know, just how stiff and awkward were those Japanese tables, and why didn't they use more <laughs> conventional tables ringside? Why couldn't they Why couldn't they import them, right? Because they were only about this wide. They're super narrow. They're never – I mean, they almost never broke. Uh, they did – you know, they would break. I mean, I remember uh, Wing Kenimura coming off either the second rope or the, or the top rope on me when I'm outside, and that was a heck of a match. That was the only time in my career, and I've only had three matches. This is a, a God's honest truth. Only three matches in my life that were planned out from A to Z. And the other two, I largely planned them out. And this one, Kenny Moore comes up to me. He's got page after page of uh, moves and transitions. And I look at it, I go, 
I like it. And I added nothing. He wrote it in English for you. He wrote it in English or had it, yeah. That's uh, amazing. Uh, yeah. Think about it. And so I've seen Kenny Moore a couple times since then, but I thought that was a really good match. I was I was Mankind in WWE. They let me go over there to do that match. And uh, uh, it was one of only two matches I ever wrestled for FMW. Um, but that but that was fun, and I can't remember what the question actually was. Oh, just those <laughs> Japanese tables. Why oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know why they didn't bring him in. Uh, you definitely had to hit that sweet spot. Or so, you, talk about wing, though. He got so, You get on the top rope, or he's on the top he's rope. He's on the top rope. On the floor. Does the table break? It did. I believe it did yeah. break. But I imagine there's been a lot of lower back injuries. A lot of broken ribs. Got yeah, right? yeah. That's it's tough. I don't know why. I also don't know why they didn't have soup with actual vegetables in it. You know, no you get soup the, with vegetables, the miso soup, like, oh. and you're like, dude, it's just put some vegetables in there. Yeah. And Daniel. you, do you have it? Did you get your toilet from your commode from Japan? I got it from Amazon. That's a nice. That's a Japanese level. Toilet oh yeah, I uh, we're. We're, we're big on cleanliness in these yeah, parts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Daniel wants to know, in your opinion, has the internet slash social media on the whole hurt wrestling more than it has helped it or vice versa? I believe it's helped it. I did too. More than it's hurt it. Yeah. I Keeps mean, people engaged through the week. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I will say that in specific instances, like the Hell in a Cell match I had with Undertaker, that if that had been, if there had been a social media that would have trended for three days and been forgotten. Fair. Like a lot of really cool stuff is. So that had a chance to organically gain momentum like a snowball going downhill to where it became bigger and bigger with each passing week, month, year. And now we approach 25 years. Uh, I was just in McAllen, Texas last week. People there are amazing. It's my fifth time in McAllen, which is right down there on the border. And it was literally the first time when I was asked more about one specific match than I was to sell. And the match they wanted to hear was uh, hear about was the match with Edge, WrestleMania 22. And it was also unusual in that at my table, I offer people a bonus photo <laughs> with one of the characters. And usually nine times out of 10, it's Mankind. And this was a 50-50 Mankind dude. So really interesting to see geographically that people really enjoyed that match with Edge and they loved themselves some dude. Uh, Chris wants to know, hello, Mick. What was your favorite bit with Edge and Christian during the commissioner days? <laughs> what we call credulity, Christian, Edge, and Foley. I was reminded that relationship with those guys who were heels to my baby face uh, commissioner Reminded me of Foghorn Leghorn and the uh, the other character who clock in morning. <laughs> they say good morning to each other. They clock in and then they spend the whole day of work trying to destroy each other. And yes. when they're done, they clock out and be like, oh, "Okay, see you tomorrow." <laughs> Damn. There was, you know, Edge and Christian actually invited me to a movie. Uh, like, you want to go? Oh, I'd, I'd like to, but I got a bunch to do. Besides, you guys can't leave. And then I go, "You have a match with." The Undertaker, which were the, the two most powerful words in the English language. Pause and then The, the Undertaker. Undertaker. Play a Teddy, Teddy, <laughs> oh man, Teddy borrowed from that heavily. The great thing about the Undertaker line is it's they're popping for him, but it's somehow your pop too. Yes. So it feels really good. I think my favorite moment 
and hopefully we get some. I don't know if we can go into the WWE library. Probably not. Well, we'll, we'll um, roll the dice. Where uh, Christian decides he wants double gold and he wants to win. Were we called the cruiserweight or the light heavyweight? Whatever light heavyweight. Yeah. Light heighweight. And I said, "How much you weigh?" And he goes, two eighteen. I go, liar. <laughs> he, like he doesn't protest. Oh, I busted him. Yeah. So we have him weigh in, and he needs to lose some weight. And I convince him to wear a chicken outfit. And he dismisses it because it's so ridiculous. And then I tell him a story, real stern and solemn, about an Olympic gold medalist who trained with a chicken suit outfit. <laughs> and then there's the best cameo in a wrestling video I've ever seen where Kurt Angle walks by and goes, my chicken suit. <laughs> it's tremendous. Just, we were throwing stuff at the wall, but most of it was sticking. Yeah. Like we had such a high slugging percentage uh, during that time where we were given the latitude. We had the crazy uh, 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 vignettes that uh, Brian Noe Noel, uh, lighting and sound guy, he would find a place in the buildings that would be cool to shoot the vignettes. And I just, I really enjoyed my chemistry with those guys. I really did. Mark Kennedy says, Mick, I have a question based on what Jim Cornette advised about a bet between you and Owen on who could be the cheapest, <laughs> who officially won and by how much was the margin? Do you guys, uh, prank wrestlers that you, uh, that hated you both for it? If so, what did you do? So oh, there, I guess there was a, who's the most frugal <laughs> McDougal. I don't think anyone hated us for that. I think they respected it, admired it. Maybe they want to duplicate it. I believe that I, I, I think the scenario was like we had to hand in the credit cards and just try to get as far as we could on the loop with $20. And Owen tapped out, and I think I still had 5 or $6 left. How long did it take for Owen to tap? Uh, three, four days. He three, made it three or four days with 20 four twenty, yeah. And, uh, and then I'm, I still had 5 or 6 left. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I, uh, I'm big on saving money. Help me understand what were some, some tips and tricks you used back then? How did you wind up? With well, you, of course you would, uh, ask for the generosity of fans. See if there was an extra bedroom or a couch. So no hotels, sleeping with fans. Right. Well, or, in in, or in the car. Uh, man, I can't, well, no, I wouldn't have had a car because we would have been riding with fans. I don't think we could ride together. I think we had to actually find. So you rode from town to town. You'd get fans to drive you. Yeah. And this was before there was a Twitter where you'd be like. So you're calling fans. Or dudes. putting word out there. Do you know someone who can give me a lift to the next town and possibly have a bed or a couch for me? And so you just sort of under, you're just spreading the word. I only stopped. And I believe we've told this story, but it's, have worth, told the story. it's worth hearing again, yes. right? I stopped. There was a definite moment when I stopped. When you were the champion. <laughs> I was a champion. I had the title belt, and I was a little stung by the fact that uh, the guy I was staying with, who was in the business, uh, had invited fans over early in the morning. Uh, I, and then I had to have a talk with myself that I was a champion. You have to understand these people are not going to have a chance to meet a WWE champion ever again. And so when the guy called me up and apologized, I said, no, no, hey, listen, I understand. What are the chances that you'll ever have the WWE champion again at your house? And he said, well, they weren't there to see you. And I drew a blank. What were they there for? And he said, my girlfriend's a crack dealer. And that was the last time I ever slept on a fan's couch, even though I think he had a spare bedroom for me. My girlfriend's a crack dealer is now <laughs> the name of this episode. 
Um, did you have any other interesting moments, like as you're couch surfing with fans here and riding with them? like this feels risky. <laughs> I mean, I was I was uh, on a couch like perusing, you know, the, the, the coffee table selection and uh, the fan I was uh, uh, relying on was heavily into the bondage scene. Oh. <laughs> like, I didn't dare go down to his basement for fear that he'd have Bruce Willis died up. Yeah, the gimp is down there. <laughs> I'll tell you, that movie was one of like three times. Ah, maybe there's been more than three times. Uh, and I'll translate this to wrestling. In We're that, talking about Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Yes. That moment, Bruce Willis makes his escape. And even though, who's... Uh, Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames. Great rivalry. Ving Rhames is out specifically to kill Bruce Willis. That's the reason he's there. Right, that's the reason he's there. They fight their way into this pawn shop and end up knocking each other. They do a, a Rocky II finish of sorts, and next thing I know, they're, they're handcuffed. And Ving Rhames is being treated in a way that nobody should be treated. And you can see the empathy in Bruce Willis's eyes. He escapes and he is home free and then he does the little turn and you're like, yeah, you yes. stand up in the theater. I'm getting goosebumps now. Yes. And when he walks into the pawn shop, he looks around and I think he sees the chainsaw, if I'm not mistaken. He, got, he gets a sword. A sword, okay, sword, okay. Uh, thinking horror, thinking chainsaw massacre. Uh, man, that was one of the best scenes I've, because it was like, I may want to kill you but nobody deserves what's, happening, what's happening to you right now. And Ving Rhames says, we don't talk about this ever again. And it's understood. So that, I call it a couch jumping moment, even yes. though I was in the theater when I saw that. I call it couch jumping because when I'm watching a pay-per-view, once every couple years, I'll see something that makes me jump up from my couch and cheer. Um, two cases in point, as much as Cody didn't, like the Stardust character, when Stardust and Goldust teamed up with Dusty in their corner. Yes. Uh, and I can't remember who they who they took on. Was it members of the Shield or the Wy or the Wyatt family? Shield. Shield. I I was so emotionally captivated that I jumped up during that match and cheered. And also in Elimination Chamber when it looked like Santino Morella might actually win that match. I was I was at a, a friend's, Chris Giordano, was a young man I met who's turning 40 now. I met him when he was 18. Uh, he has cerebral palsy and I've been at his house for, actually he was supposed to be in the first season of Most Wanted Treasures because Chris has the original dude love shirt. Oh wow. And they were afraid that me going in and trying to remove yeah, something, yeah, might be seen as, uh, you know. In inappropriate. Inappropriate. Um, but I remember jumping up from the couch in that moment, too. So Dad's dead, baby. Yeah. Dad's dead. <laughs> well, by now, you know this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Let's talk about sex, shall we? Remember the days when you're always ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. It's bluechew.com. Bluechew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. 
Take these anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process is simple, y'all. You just sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part. Man, it's all done online. That means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. BlueChew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. BlueChew wants to help you have better sex. So discover your options at bluechew.com. Chew it and do it. Dude love would be proud. Seriously, this is a home run. They're a day one sponsor for us here on the program. And you know why it really works. If you haven't tried it already, what are you waiting for? And how about this? we got a special deal for our listeners. Try blue chew free. When you use our promo code Foley at checkout, just pay the $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is Foley to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank bluechew for sponsoring the day's podcast. So listen, we've got a, a little show and tell here. We'll th- show this up on the screen. So everybody can see Ryan's question. He says, I need to know the story behind these tights. <laughs> So Mick, what in the world are these lanes? No, no, those are not lanes. I, I did lane starting in '91. I think that's '88 Cactus Jack, uh, pre world class, probably pre, uh, or maybe it's post world class. I just thought that it takes a tough guy to get away with wearing flowers. Yeah, and that the Cactus Jack character would be seen. Uh, as even more dangerous if he was a guy willing to wear flowers in public. You know, things have changed a lot in the, you know, 35 years since then. But that was a statement. And you know who ended up uh, wearing those tights? Who's that? Uh, Balls Mahoney. Really? We did a a vignette. Um, It was Smoky Mountain Wrestling where I passed down the tights to Balls. Uh, And Mr. Mahoney wore them, I believe, every match after that. Eli McCraig wants to know, uh, what are your thoughts on a lot of the recent comparisons between Sami Zayn and you? Triple H even said that Sami could uh, captivate an audience like you did. I was just curious what your thoughts are on that comparison. Well, I was enormously flattered uh, by both Triple H and Sami's comments, and really grateful. And I had no idea that Sami had been such a fan of mine until I was a GM and we were doing the promo uh, where I, I, I really liked the chemistry I had with Sammy. And he was the fiery underdog babyface yes. at that time. And it just shows you, man, he's, he's come an amazing way. But he was great as the fiery babyface. And he said a bunch of things, complimentary things, in a promo. And when it was finished, he goes, you know, I, I meant all that stuff. I said, really? And he I read your book. I don't know if I was the guy for him, but I was one of the guys. So it's always, it's all, I, I, it's always flattering when someone brings you up. I was always flattered when I was in somebody's highlight video getting crushed, you know? Right. Like that was the mark of me that I still meant something when people were putting me in their highlight packages. Oh yeah. Uh Dr. Skeleton's celebrity toilet wants to know what is the <laughs> Dr. Skeleton's celebrity toilet? Yeah, that's a hell of a name. Um and even better, his handle is Mr. Hot Dogs 2099. <laughs> this guy's creative. Definitely a Foley fan. Uh, what is the biggest, most positive reaction you ever got from your wife? Non-career stories preferred. So d- did you have uh, I guess he's looking for. Let's advice. just say my wife started the yes movement long before Daniel Bryan popularized it. 
Boy, that feels like uh, a way to close the show right there. My goodness, how can we ever beat that? Um, boys and girls, I'll tell you what you won't regret. And that's getting a cameo from a man. Oh, yeah. Mr. McFoley. As I understand it, this is a special time of year in the cameo. Oh, business. yeah. I was just going to say that it's uh, right before Mother's Day. I'm not doing the Mother's Day video because once you've seen it, it's kind of done. But I will say I'm working on a second song that's excellent, too. And I believe that's two more Mother's Day songs than any other wrestler has created. But let me do it up for this, and I'll just say. I don't think there's any other Mother's Day songs on Cameo <laughs> or in professional wrestling. So we're going to do it up. Uh, you guys are seeing behind. You're taking a peek behind the curtain at the magic. <laughs> By the way, as you're getting dressed here, I want to remind everybody. I'm not getting dressed. I'm getting duded up. Duded up. My apologies. <laughs> Next week here on Folius Pod, we're going to discuss the end of your WCW run in 1994. We're also going to follow up from Spring Stampede, where you thought you might be running out your contract. Kevin Sullivan's going to call you to come back. Pretty wonderful. And, of course, your Loser Leaves Town match with Kevin. In a couple of weeks, we'll discuss your transition from WCW to ECW. And then we'll talk about Over the Edge 1998. In your second title match against Steve Austin is Dude Love. Uh, we decided we were going to do these because we ran a poll. We want to hear from you guys. Follow us on Twitter if you haven't already. It's at Foley is Pod. That's at Foley is Pod. And uh, Mick, I know you're uh, getting ready to do a cameo, but I just want to briefly mention uh, you're going to be on May 7th, which is this weekend. You're going to be at the Wrestling Universe. Get more information at thewrestlinguniverse.com. Next week, on the 12th, you're going to have a signing at Time Capsule Toys in Niles, Ohio. More information on that available at realmcfoley.com. But the reason we're here, by God, is to talk about Cameo, because what Mom wants to hear is from Mick Foley. And, uh, so you know what, Conrad, we won't do the lie. Have I destroyed the magic where you see that it's actually me? With <laughs> It doesn't matter, right? I think everyone watching this on YouTube kind of knows that Mick Foley and Dude Love are tight. <laughs> they are tight. So the con I won't, I'm not going to do the full cameo. This is the teaser for the Mother's Day. Okay. Best Mother's Day song ever done. It's so much better when my son Mickey uh, does the background vocals. Uh, and maybe we'll air a Mother's Day song and Father's Day song are the same song. I've actually used it for Hanukkah as well. Before you before you do this, a uh, little tease, the appetizer, if you will. Tell everybody where on Cameo they can that find it. You can catch the dude at Cameo.com slash Mick Foley. I will exceed thine expectations. The problem with Mother's Day is there is no iconic song associated with the holiday, and there's no beloved historical character. So in order to boost Mother's Day up the rung, a la Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, Leprechaun, and Cupid Daddy, Dude Love is created with the one and only, the bestest, the mellowest, the downright jelloest Mother's Day song, and it goes like this. And that's all. I'm not giving away the store, brother. Oh, I all love right. it. I love it. There you, you know go. What? Let me just go ahead and mention these cameos are sweeping the nation. People are talking about it left and right on social media. While we were recording the day, Mick, just yeah. a handful of minutes ago, we got a tweet from our man, Bam. Uh, actually, this might actually be a lady. Wow. Yeah. Irish HBK on Twitter wants Ooh. to know if I pay for a Mick Foley cameo, will he do the tuck dance? <laughs> 
and uh, we'll throw that tweet up right now. On the well, you know, I, I do them hand handheld. I can allow you to use your imagination. Uh, yeah, well, I don't think she means you got to get yeah. ass naked, but uh, <laughs> the tuck man. I don't know. I you know, you never say never. <laughs> that poor guy went on to be uh, do many things. So many. And I see him on the closer, you know, once in a while. And I still all think I get, of this. Boom, that thing, time. you know. And that song. I mean, I'll never. When I, th- when I hear that song, that's all I think of. If, I, if you're ever out at a restaurant or a bar or something and they play that song, you're thinking of that. You are uh, thinking of that. And I'll tell you this. Uh, you probably hear some of the same ads on our shows over and over and over. And Because they work, wonder, Conrad. Why is that? Well, because it works is exactly right, Mick. And if your business targets men that are 25 to 54 years old, no better place to advertise than right here. Check it out. Advertisewithfoley.com. Uh, if you think we've earned it, man, throw us a five-star review. It certainly helps the algorithm. Greatly appreciate your support over on YouTube too. Foley on YouTube.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Foley is pod. Mick is also pretty active over on Instagram at real Mick Foley. Yeah. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we've got all kinds of new shirts over at Foley is pod shirts.com. Mick, we've done a lot of topics on these shows, but I really like, I mean, I like going deep on one topic. It's kind of fun to bounce around topics. This was it's fun, fun today. It's been fun, yeah. I we got to cut it off now because, uh, in interest of full disclosure, we're recording another episode. I've got to get home to catch Lakers, uh, Warriors. Got to see uh, that, and we'll man. see you guys next week right here on Foley Is Pod. Yeah. Fight Plus is the ultimate digital platform for live sports and entertainment, and they're now offering a free seven-day trial at TryFight.com. Fight Plus is packed with a premium live event schedule, over a thousand hours of live action every year, and a library of more than 4,000 hours on demand, plus exclusive content you can't get anywhere else. Fight is a great partner of ours. They support us, so let's support them. Give that free seven-day trial a shot, and you'll be a member for life. That's tryfight.com. T-R-Y-F-I-T-E dot com. Hey guys, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Need to call a timeout real quick here. I wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my world listeners for a while now. It's about all the incredible things happening over on adfreeshows.com. An all new edition of The Insiders is here as Conrad welcomes David Zaudi, the man behind so many iconic video packages WWF fans grew up on, including one that left Vince in tears. You got it. And Conrad, I swear, I walked outside the studio and Vince was sitting down on the concrete floor, crying hysterically, just saying, thank you. Thank wow. you. Thank you. I went up to call Kevin. He says, good job. Can't wait to see it. 15 minutes later in the stairwell, Vince is still sitting down in a different spot now, crying, saying, thank you. Thank you. Jim Johnston created the soundtrack for generations of WWE fans with some of the most iconic themes in history. Jim sits down with Conrad to take us behind some of those classic themes, including The Ultimate Warrior. And then I recorded that. And then just over that, you're just doing. You know, it's so simple, but that's what felt like him. Hey, that's just a small taste of what AdFree Shows has waiting for you, including a brand new perk, getting to join in on the live recordings of the shows with four levels to choose from. See for yourself 
apply. Ad-free shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adfreeshows.com. That's right. Sign up today at adfreeshows.com.